Hey everyone, this is Bradley, Editor-in-Chief of Merchant Fraud Journal. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This week we're going to be speaking with Sasha from NetHone, and he's going to be talking with us about a couple of really crazy scams that NetHone has dealt with in the past that include fraudsters setting up shop in airports and selling tickets, as well as walls of cell phones and cryptocurrency. So it's a really great episode. I think you guys will learn a lot. Really appreciate the support. If you want to check out Netone on the net, you can visit their website at netone.com, N-E-T-H-O-N-E.com. They specialize in a variety of e-commerce and fraud prevention solutions, including online retail, travel, digital lending, PSD2 and SCA compliance. So definitely give them a shout out. If you have any questions, any feedback about the podcast, you can reach me at bradley at merchantfraudjournal.com. We hope you enjoy. We are here with Sasha from NetHone, uh, who is here to talk to us on the inaugural episode here of To Catch a Fraudster. So Sasha, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Yes. So the idea for this podcast, just to give a, a quick quick little thing here at the beginning is just we want to talk about real stories of fraud because often in in the industry there's a lot of talk about technologies and methodologies but fraud is fundamentally a personal issue and that's why chargeback certainly hit merchants so viscerally is that sense of having been stolen from so something we wanted to explore here was just to have some some of the of the great vendors in the industry come on and tell some of their stories about crazy fraud attempts that they've seen and things that they've heard and just get a sense for some of the zaniest that's zany things that go on out there and then try to learn a little bit along the way. So Sasha, why don't you start off by, uh, we spoke before, you told me two great stories, so you could pick whichever one you want to start off with and, and let me know uh, kind of one of the craziest fraud stories that you and Netone, Netone have had to deal with. Um, sure, uh, of course. Um, so, uh, basically, uh, the, the way I view the fighting with fraud is like a game of cat and mouse. Uh, it's, it's really having an opponent on the other side, uh, glove, gloves off, that is really trying to sneak through whatever means they can and also minimizing their, their costs. Um, and they are very brazen, meaning that they, they really don't care. Uh, they will look into, square into the eye of, a, of the person that they're trying to fool uh, and they will just if they, they are allowed to do that they will just um steal steal money from them um and uh, and and one of the most peculiar uh stories that i that i have from the industry is the uh, the a situation where um so metal started as a as a, as a travel uh, as, as a tool for fighting fraud and we we decided to concentrate on on travel and one of the stories coming from the travel space is actually of a bunch of fraudsters. Uh, it was a whole team that has set up shop inside of an airport, selling tickets for you know every uh, pe- person who wanted to get a, a different flight l- last minute. Uh, so they have set up a, a shop inside of the airport, where actually what they had, what they were selling is that they were having laptops on that within that shack that they have set up in the airport, and they were actually purchasing tickets uh, from regular websites and, and, and for the ones that are a bit more uh, on the know when it comes to e-commerce, you, you d- divide the transactions as c- 
card present. So a situation where you're actually in a shop thing with your own card and that's a card present um, operation. And then if it's done through the web, through the internet, that's a card not present. So even though uh, by the rules of, uh, of regular commerce, this would be a card present transaction. And, and actually that's one of the ways the, the person who is purchasing the ticket might see that something's fishy. Uh, is that it was a cardinal present transaction because actually the frosters were uh, selling tickets uh, going onto a you know a regular uh, website uh, and of course they were using the card of of the person who was trying to uh, to purchase but but those people were not using the real their their own credit cards. Firstly, they were seeing the credit card number from the person who was trying to buy, buy the uh, ticket from there at the airport, uh, and additionally they have uh, what they did is they purchased. A, a bunch of credit cards from the dark web uh, and that's also a, a natural thing that the frosters do you, you go into the dark web and you can buy a hundred or a thousand uh, card numbers and then depending on the, whether you have a cvv going with that credit card uh, number do you have the address going with that credit card number do you have the expiry date going with that credit card number the price of each of them is different but you you can get credit card numbers from few dollars up to uh, $30 if it's full full data uh, behind that uh, that card. So uh, this first story is really about being really uh, brazen in, in terms of, uh, you know, those, those people were actually looking into the eyes of people who they were stealing from, uh, having a shop at the airport, buying tickets in this card not present environment, even though they were Claiming to the uh, to 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 the to to the clients that this is a card present, this is a, a regular transaction, and it all mm -hmm. happened within the airport. And this also shows the creative creativity uh, of the of the professional because, of course, they're using the strength uh, of the airport and of the fact that the, the situation is uh, so bizarre. If this wouldn't be a legitimate uh, business, uh, that actually the, the, this has built their credibility so however fishy they might seem to the to, to the person who is purchasing uh the ticket still because it, it was the in the airport because there are cameras because uh, usually you have uh, regular businesses at the airport uh, that made they, that grew their credibility and this is also what fraudsters do it's either they build somehow their credibility or on the other hand they are using the situation uh, around in the world uh, that and here it might be that the person is trying to you know get on the plane in 10 minutes so they will be going fast for the transaction so not really looking at the any uh, specific uh, right. indicators specific indicator, that this, this yeah. might be a fraudulent uh, operation yeah so I want to I want to break this down because this was an absolutely wild story when you when you told it to me I kind of thought for a second wow that's a great idea and I you know, I'm really always constantly impressed by the lengths to with which people go to perpetrate these frauds. And honestly, I don't know why they don't just get actual jobs because I'm sure they would do much better in life than I have if they were <laughs> if they were able to get some actual actual legitimate work. But so I, I want to break this story down kind of from the beginning. Start with the idea of putting someone in in an airport, right? Setting up shop in an airport. And you touched on this a little bit, but I think one of the key things that people need to realize when they're when they're trying to catch fraudsters is that they will look for ways to present themselves 
in a in a non-conspicuous way, something that really looks completely normal, something that really looks uh, trustworthy. And that definitely seems to be the case here. And to go to this kind of length was was really incredible. And I'm wondering if you kind of when you caught on to this fraud, if you see these types of things going on in other places, other areas where you're you're seeing fraudsters try to blend into scenarios where they maybe don't look out of place. Um, certainly. So here, uh, the the important thing that from from perspective of Neton would be that, of course, we would be the ones that are integrated into the actual website which the fraudsters are using to purchase those, those tickets. So one of the suspicious indicators that we would look at is the fact that suddenly uh, from one network, from one location, uh, from a location which is not a, a regular home, we see that there's more and more transactions coming, uh, that there are transactions coming for different names, for different emails, for various, uh, for various um, routes. And then what would be also interesting is that probably if you are having the shop at that particular airport, usually most of those routes would also look the, would, would start off at that airport, right? So we would suddenly also see a spike uh, in the fact that, that there's quite a lot of those uh, flights with the same airport and different destinations. So, right. so, so breaking this down, and, and also what's, what's very important when, when you're fighting for today, uh, the, the world has changed and shifted in the sense that at one point in time, um, let's say 10 years ago, five years ago even maybe, um, it was enough to look at three particular attributes and then create something that, uh, that the, the, the fraud space calls rules, uh, where you would say, okay, if I see too many uh, transactions from that particular airport in short period of time uh, and with multiple cards, that, so that's something that I would block. Uh, but because uh, the, the, the fraud space has created those rules and fraudsters got to know that there are those rules behind, uh, the, um, be, behind the systems who are trying to stop them, they knew that they have to vary their interaction more and more. So, of course, those, those, those fraudsters, what they, would, what they might do is, apart from selling those tickets there, there at the airport, they might have an alternative kind of business in the sense that they would have a dark web shop, uh, which is totally an internet shop where actually people who are purchasing from them, they know they're buying from fraudsters, but they are purchasing tickets for 50% of, um, of value. Right. And then they would intermingle the transactions that were happening at the airport with those from the dark web shop to make the, uh, to make the system, the anti-fraud systems less suspicious or be, less able to actually track those particular attributes that the rules would look at. Right. Uh, and that's also, of course, why today, in order to properly fight fraud, uh, it's, about, it's all about using machine learning. It's all about not only looking at three attributes, four attributes, but actually the full scope. And of course, depending on, uh, on the data provider, uh, you might have 100 attributes, but you also might have more than 5,000 attributes, depending, of course, on the vendor uh, that you choose. And this right. is particularly important. Another way that what the fraudsters do to, in order to kind of hide behind the, the scene is that they will use any promotions. So if you have a cyber week, so Black Friday uh, situation, what we very often see is that actually 
the the fraud rises more than than the the genuine traffic let's say so the fraudsters know that the that, that the systems have lowered their uh, limitations because it's a period of high uh, high business so of course that's the, the moment when the fraudsters jump on that train and actually also perpetrate even more fraud uh, and and not just more but 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 uh, more even in relations to the to to the to the to the regular times right so i want to i want to ask a question also you were touching on a little bit um when when these people are in the airport so obviously they're in there um and they're trying to look inconspicuous they're also trying to blend in with the surroundings around them um but another thing that i'm really interested in is this idea that the airport is inherently a transient place. It's a place where people are trying to get in and get out. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to with the idea of attacks during Black Friday uh, sales periods, 4th of July sales periods, where people are, are really um, able to take advantage of the situation and the fact that in this in this specific scenario, you have travelers who are not who are not really uh, aware. They're, they're, they're not really in a space where they're kind of thinking critically about what's happening. So I'm kind of curious in this scenario, did you get any stories from the people that were defrauded where they were talking about how these fraudsters were actually speaking to them, what they were saying, kind of the, the human tactics they were using in order to get them to buy into the fraud and not realize what was actually going on? Um, right. Not, not in this particular case, but here I have a different story that I might, might share. Okay. Uh, and and this, is, uh, this is also very interesting, also shows the creativity of, uh, of fraudsters. Is a case of, um, and this is far more, uh, far more connected to, to, to nowadays, and, uh, and it's around cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency exchange. Of course, with the raise of Bitcoin and the raise of value of Bitcoin, more and more people wanted to jump on the train of, uh, you know, free making, money, uh, making some money. Yeah, on the, the free money train. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, and, uh, and, and, and of course, because the popularity of Bitcoin has risen, you had more and more people getting, trying to get on the train, but not really being specialists in how this works. Uh, and what for fraudsters, came up with, or the, the, what the problem they had is that the world came up with this new way of verifying identity. Uh, and this new way was a, um, a wire of a one euro, one USD. Right, uh, I think we've all done that. To yeah, some I've other account that. to actually verify that you are the owner of the uh, account. And usually in this communication, you also get the name of the owner of the account. Um, so of course this this became a way of verifying the identity of a person. So first, we were thinking, okay, how can we sidestep this? Because if we sidestep this, then suddenly uh, the whole world where this uh, where this verification happens, we can actually sidestep it and 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 perpetrate steal even more money. Um, so they 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 saw that actually. There's this space of cryptocurrency. It's already a bit shady, right? Cryptocurrency, you no. Know, uh, no, uh, not people that are trying to buy cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency was also made to actually anonymize uh, people. 
uh, which which allowed for the which which really even made it easier for the for the frosters. So yeah, so that's did, really yeah, that, that's the interesting part to me is if you can explain really clearly how that worked because it seems to me that if it's supposed to be completely anonymous that this the fraud wouldn't be an issue. That was the entire point. Well, not the entire point, but one of the main points of the thing was that based on the blockchain technology and you can always track the different decentralized. Uh, uh, ledgers that you wouldn't be able to perpetrate fraud. So I'm really curious to hear kind of how this how this was going on, what this what this looked like. Sure. So so of course the idea behind blockchain and, and, and Bitcoin was that you actually have an ability to be perfectly un- anonymous because what value is just the hash of your uh, of your wallet and that's it. So basically there's nothing that connects as long as you have that hash, as long as you have that ID, let's say, of your money, um, then this is the only thing you need. So this ID is me- meaningless because it's just a, a bunch of letters and numbers and that's it. But in a certain context, it means value. It means a particular uh, record on that, on that blockchain. Um, so th- this was the idea. But of course, uh, because... It, because of this full anonymization, there might be uh, problems in terms of tracking the money in, in funding arms, etc. Uh, so, so the cryptocurrency exchanges actually were made to verify the identity of the person. Okay. So if they were made to uh, verify the identity of the person, one of the ways of doing that and, and, and tracking from the exchange from regular money to cryptocurrency and back could have been done that if you have a connected account to that exchange, of course, you can verify it by asking the person to wire a, a little sum of money uh, to your account. And then you, you know the name and you know if, if it's a, a real person. Of course, there's also the uh, picture of the ID, etc. involved. Um, so. Frosters knowing that, that this is what the cryptocurrency exchanges actually ask from regular people, what they did is they created a fake cryptocurrency exchange. So, so they made a website which claimed that, hey, if you, uh, if you register with us, then you're able to purchase uh, cryptocurrency. And of course, as part of registration to that website was the fact of, of doing this wire, maybe even uploading the, your ID. Um, but what the froster were actually after was you, was this wire, because what they were in this particular scam, what they were doing is they were actually taking credit using your data. So they were using wow. the, 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 the fact of um, the wire of the one euro wire in order to actually get the money out of the uh, out of the, uh, of the out of the person. And of course, uh, of course, the it had was also interesting. It had to happen in parallel, meaning that the moment when the person was registering uh, to this fake cryptocurrency exchange, in the background, what the froster was doing, in an automated way, of course, they were putting that data that the person was thinking that he's putting into the cryptocurrency exchange platform. They were putting into the uh, regular business of um, lending. Uh, where the frosters were in the end getting the money from the credit. The person was thinking that he's setting up an account for his cryptocurrency exchange. 
but in the end the uh, froster was ending up with this money from the credit but the liability and the kind of the, the the need for the person to repay the loan stayed with the original owner of this fake cryptocurrency account so this wasn't just about verifying the the stage here i guess the scam would have been it wasn't just the the one euro but they were telling them that they had to fund the account with a certain amount of money is that um because i no. so here so, right so he, so here the, the of course uh later on it's it's all about getting the money from the digital lender to the fraudsters and then of course this person uh, being liable for the for for the for the credit. Right. So we're not talking about them saying we're gonna. You need to send one euro. We're talking about them saying if you want to fund your account, then send X number of dollars to our exchange, and and the exchange is is really non-existent. Right. 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 So what do people do when 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 you hear about these things? Can you give us any examples of kinds of of things that you've done? when you you hear about these things how do these things come up in nethone's uh day to day like what what's what are you doing with your with your clients that you see this where someone says i got scammed for this amount of money and is there really anything that can be done about it or or is it just you have to prevent it i would think at the point of of attack right so this is an interesting topic in general um so firstly when it comes to credit cards uh the interesting thing is that when you are being when somebody steals money from your credit card or debit card it's not really you who are liable because uh the the card scheme so visa mastercard amex has set up rules behind the use of credit cards in a way that the owner the the, the person who has been issued the card always can claim a chargeback uh, and and in terms of claiming a chargeback that means that when I claim a chargeback and that somebody has stolen data from my card and used that data to steal money from me, I will get my money back. And of course, the, the, the actual entity who will pay that money is the merchant who has originally taken money out of that, uh, out of that card. So in terms of the users usually are very much protected. Who is not too protected too much is the business owners and of course that's why the business owners employ um employ solutions like that on because they need to actually save themselves from um from chargebacks of course chargebacks also are a tool to make sure that the business owners are not the ones who are scamming the users because you can claim a chargeback not only because um you somebody has stolen the money out of your credit card but also because the goods are not as described as in the offer uh, because there was some mistake on the merchant side so of course this is a two let's say two-sided weapon but always made to protect the user themselves uh, in these terms so how is that changing with the cryptocurrency but so it, i guess it's because it's a direct transfer to the exchange the money is just gone right here um so, so, so that, so that's that's interesting. That actually depends on the uh, on the on the, the way the, the regulation in a particular country uh, works. But this is a clear use of somebody somebody's identity in order to commit fraud. So the the person has to, on a legal in a legal way, has to claim that somebody has stolen their identity 
uh, and then on a, on a, on a, then they have to uh, get that money back in that way, or actually fight the fact that somebody's trying to get that in those installments from them. So that, and that's far harder. So yeah, in so terms of the use of credit cards and uh, in terms of uh, wires, basically wires based on the account numbers, that's very very different. Uh, so basically, uh, the 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 wiring of money between accounts is a, is a very different um, type of transaction than when it's credit cards because credit cards are governed by the rules of the card schemes more uh, and you have such uh, su such um, rules like chargebacks uh, that allow easier uh, it, that allow it easier for the user to actually get the money back from the uh, from the merchant so I want to I want to uh, make sure I'm totally understanding here because basically what I'm understanding from this crypto scam is that there's a, a, a fraudster, they're setting up a fake exchange, they're telling people come buy Bitcoin, come buy Ether, come buy whatever you're going to buy. People come on, they log in, they think that they're creating an account at this exchange, they send their bank details, the fraudster now has the bank details and they can use it with the amount of money that's been authorized to purchase crypto and that seems to be the scam, is that? Right, so here okay. the scam is actually, so here the scam is more around the fact that when the person is thinking that they're buying cryptocurrency or creating an account for cryptocurrency, what they are doing, what they're really doing is they are taking a loan. And of course, if you're taking a loan, somebody will wire money to an account. And then, of course, depending on how the fraudster will set, will, will, set up, will set up the whole scam and how the digital lender operates, they will either be able to say, but wire the money from that digital lender to a different account, or they will still need to convince the user to wire the money out of the credit loan to them okay. but it's all the the scam here for around the cryptocurrency concentrates mainly on the fact that that the fraudster is able to steal the digital identity of the person and then use that digital identity for various scams okay so we're talking this, mostly about account takeovers here is the main yes, attack yes okay yes so what what are what are people doing? I guess what's what's the most amount of money that you've ever seen somebody get taken for? And then kind of what are some of the things that people are doing to try and protect themselves? Um, right. So what I can say is that because what we mostly see, of course, being on the side of the merchants themselves, um, it's it's not not that we see a one person that somebody has taken money from them we see whole rings of fraudsters that are they are using all those identities and here i'm using the word identity in a, in a broad sense meaning the identity somebody's digital identity can be the card number because of course that's what identifies your account and from where you can take the money of course it can be this uh login to your uh, bank account and that that can be used also to actually perpetrate uh, a multitude of scams. So what we see is that we are able to track rings uh, of 200 transactions that occur in a span of a half a year that later on we are able to say this was actually done by one fraud ring. Uh, and this is also an interesting thing uh, that happened over the time 
is that the fraud is being is professionalizing. Of course, we're all the, the, the other side. So us, the people who are trying try to secure uh, the space, what we are doing is we are actually raising the bar for fraudsters. So a homegrown fraudster is becoming harder and harder for them to perpetrate fraud. So they are, what they are doing is they're actually uh, also professionalizing. Uh, you, ha you get uh, places where you have walls of cell phones put in order to perpetrate multiple frauds because if you have a, a solution that tracks a device identity, device fingerprint, then you need hundreds of devices if you want to commit that fraud. So what we see is that actually fraudsters try to find a loophole. Fraudsters, when they find the loophole, they will perpetrate the fraud until they get caught on that. Uh, and then you can really see that they, they, they actually are operating through multitude of those identities, uh, committing this um, hundreds of uh, fraudulent activities. And this is actually just one kind of like company. You, you, we, you were talking about the fact that they might get a job. Our perspective that this is actually a job for them. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Serious I... thoughts there. There's serious thoughts. Uh, there's serious preparation. And more, even more interesting, Today, you can actually go on certain websites uh, with ads, with YouTube channels, with YouTube videos that will even promote their services. And of course, they won't promote it as we are helping you commit fraud, but they say point blank, we, we are helping you to anonymize yourself in the internet. But not only that, but we are also enabling you to use multiple digital identities that's already suspicious. But what's even more interesting is that those tools allow you to feed that tool with a stolen digital identity. Um, so and a, have you ever seen one of these things up close? One of these gigantic walls of cell phones? <laughs> I saw pictures. I didn't go into a, a, a physical place. But okay. yes, I, I, saw, I saw pictures of, 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 of those. And, and I have to say that we do see those walls, but in a digital sense. So when they use uh, those, when they use those types of tactics here, it it's not are they're not using the same account on each one to see if it gets through. They're using a uh, hundred or two hundred iPhones that are each running through however millions of identities that they've stolen, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because yeah. I've I've seen and those pictures as well. Not only that, but what they also might do is that they might set up and. Um, virtual machines on those um, on those cell phones. So each cell phone might be actually generating twenty more uh, more more uh, digital identities. So, so what, because what the fraudster is trying to do is firstly anonymize themselves fully, and secondly uh, vary any attribute that they are transmitting to the merchant in order to become as unique as possible, because that that makes it harder for solutions as ours to track them. So and that's the, why the solutions on the other side have to be as comprehensive as possible right. in order to get them at some space that they were not able to either change or because, of course, they are limited. Even if it's a wall of 100 uh, phones, it's still, it's still not a lot. It's, right. And with those 100 phones, you have to have 100 emails. You have to have 100 IDs. Right. Um, 
So all this is limited. And what we often see is that the fraudsters make mistakes in the sense that they will reuse one of those in some other scam. And that's when we are able to connect them, those two interactions and see that, oh, that it's fraud. Right. We're able to connect two digital identities which should not be connected. So are they basically, it basically comes down to, for all its sophistication and virtual machines inside of a wall of iPhones, it's really coming down to a, a semi-brute force attack where they'll just have 20,000 credentials and they'll decide they want to attack this specific merchant and they'll try 20,000 different purchases to try and, and get one of them to stick with that merchant where they'll, they'll successfully purchase something fraudulently? Right. Okay. So of course, of course, the, the, I would say that there are two two ways of doing that. One is exactly brute force, uh, and the, and there there's a, the intermediary of the fact that you are purchasing from other fraudsters the stolen data. Right. Uh, and what's interesting is that of course, if you are a fraudster who is selling a database of credit cards and you are a fraudster, you won't sell it once. You will sell it multiple times. So a database of stolen credit cards. No honor, no honor amongst thieves. No honor amongst thieves. No honor. So it, it devalues in time. So they have to buy 100,000 credit card numbers and they know that they have to uh, chip in on that very quickly because if they want, uh, that means that, that the, the, the value of the purchase database will go lower and lower. Right. And that's some, because the, the accounts have already been used and flagged as fraud. By some other fraudster, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one way. Uh, and then doing that is also interesting because then you can use those in multiple purchases, not only one purchase, right? You can use it with one merchant than the other, etc. So it's kind of a more universal. The brute force is more universal. You're able to attack the whole e-commerce. But there's another strategy that you can take and you can choose a particular merchant or choose a particular bank that you want to attack. And then you are far more specific in what you're doing. Uh, a, an interesting, another interesting scam that we have seen is the coronavirus scam uh, and the vaccine for coronavirus. When the, coron when the coronavirus hit, multiple people has got um, messages, um, and this happened in Poland, is that they got a, a, a text message saying, uh, it, the, by the regulation of the Polish entity that governs health, if you want to get a shot against uh, a vaccine against coronavirus, please pay the 70 PLN. Here's the link. And people got those messages. And when you click the link, actually what, what you were shown is a true website or something that looked like a true website of a, of a PSP, so from a pay, payment service provider. And of course, the only difference from a true website was the URL because they are copying fully the, 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 the visuals of the website. What they are not able to do is change the URL. So they are not able to use the real URL of the website, but what they will often do is they will change one letter or a new way of doing it is they will use a letter from a different language that looks the same. So the, even the, the URL looks almost exactly the same as the, the real URL, but it's not the real URL. And then, of course, people, what they were doing, they were choosing their bank website, they were clicking their bank website, they were going on that, on, they thought they were going to their bank's website, they were validating the whole process, 
but actually what they were doing is they were wiring money uh, to the fraudster uh, themselves. Right. So that so they're basically impersonating the site and doing it pretty much invisibly to the naked eye. Even if somebody was looking for it, they make it as yes, and even as and sidestepping the second factor. Today, what's very 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 popular is this second factor. You get a message to your phone, and then you rewrite the code from there. But of course, if the fraudster is impersonating the site of the payment service provider plus the bank that you are that you have your account with, then you will get the message. But then you will just rewrite that code to the website and of course what the fraudster is doing in the background they're at the real uh website of the bank and they're just putting those numbers there right themselves crazy crazy stuff well sasha i I really appreciate it i think uh that's some really excellent excellent advice and some really amazing stories so i really appreciate you sharing them taking the time to share them with us uh at merchant fraud and uh Crazy, crazy times we live in. Walls of cell phones, impersonating government websites. It's, uh, it's a strange new world, a brave new world, as they say. <laughs> um, I, I have to say, we are all moving more and more to the internet with the, with the rise of chip and pin cards. Froster were also pushed away from you know, copying magnetic stripes to, uh, to, to, to committing fraud uh, in the internet, which, which kind of makes it easier for them. Uh, and of course, we need to secure ourselves uh, even more and be very, very conscious of what we are doing on the web. You have to be conscious when somebody is calling you, uh, what they're asking you. If you don't know the person who is calling you, you don't know the number who is calling you and they ask you for any personal data, of course, you have to be very, very vigilant in providing that to any website, to any uh, person, because if not, then, then there's a high chance that... Uh, at some point, the fraudster will get a hand on that data. And that's why data security is so important. That's why protection of the by the merchants is uh, is so important. Awesome. So why don't you tell everyone where they can find NetHone on the net, and then uh, we'll sign off. Of course. So uh, www.nethone.com. Uh, that's our website. Um and of course, there's a contact form. You can hit the contact form and we will uh, schedule a call with you. We are also providing some one-on-one consultations uh, in, the, in, in July. So if you, if you would like to talk with me or anyone else from uh, Neton a bit more on machine learning around fraud uh, or setting up the best security for your website, not necessarily through Neton, but basically we provide uh, one-on-one consultations in July. So if, if you'd like that, then you, you are also able to sign up for that. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, yeah, keep, keep uh, people safe from those walls of cell phones. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. <laughs> and we will. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.